0: You're listening to episode 16 of the Breaking Down Business podcast. Welcome to Breaking Down Business, a podcast produced on
1: behalf of the Kent State Ambassador Crawford College of Business and Entrepreneurship by adjunct marketing instructor and CEO of All Group Marketing, Christopher Barnett. In this series, we connect listeners to our experts who share the latest on high-impact research and best practices in business. We bring relevant and timely business topics to you every other week. This is Breaking Down
0: Business with your host, Chris Barnett. In this episode, we talk with Katrina Palmer Johnson, PhD, a faculty member in the Kent State Department of Management and Information Systems. Dr. Palmer Johnson discusses the career path that led her to obtaining a PhD, as well as her research in the areas of the role of gender and racial disparity on mentorship relationships and the effects of criminal history on individuals' ability to acquire meaningful work. She also discusses her involvement in the Ph.D. project. Dr. Katrina Palmer-Johnson received her Ph.D. in Organizational Management from Rutgers Business School, Newark and New Brunswick. Her research focuses on how gender and racial disparity affect mentor relationships in the academy, as well as the effects of criminal history on individuals' ability to acquire meaningful work. Her research has appeared in Research in Human Resource Management and Equality, Diversity and Inclusion, and International Journal, among other outlets. Dr. Johnson teaches principles of management prior to entering academia She served as a research associate at Improved Consulting and Training Group, an academic advisor at Kent State University, and as a global human resource analyst at Lincoln Electric. Dr. Johnson, it's a pleasure to have you on Breaking Down Business today.
1: Thank you, Chris. I am so happy to be here.
0: Well, we're glad to have you here. I can't wait to introduce our audience to you. It's been fun getting to know you over this past week as we've prepared for this podcast. And I just wanted to start with the fact that you're new to the Department of Management and Information Systems this semester. So welcome. Thank you. Can you share with our listeners a little bit about your academic and professional journey?
1: Yes, so interestingly, I'm new to the Department of Management Information Systems at Kent as a faculty member, but I actually began my um, academic journey here at Kent State, and so I started my undergraduate career um, in the business school in the MNIS department. I was a business management major, and then I continued on and pursued my MBA here at Kent State. Also, um, so there has been a lot of mentors here that helped to shape my academic journey and also led me to pursue a PhD at Rutgers University. And so now I'm here. I'm so happy to be back at my first academic home. Uh Um, And in the between time, I also, um, you know, gained some professional experience, which I thought was important um, as a business professor to provide some real world application into the classroom. Yeah. Can you share
0: a little bit about how you bring in some of your real world experience to,
1: to your students and, and how they respond to that? Yes. So uh, prior to pursuing my PhD, I worked um, at Lincoln Electric, uh, which as a global HR analyst. And so in that role, I actually worked with our as patriots. Um, so I will work on uh, the compensation package to make sure that when they were going overseas that they were still financially whole um, in terms of uh, the compensation packages and also their families. they were moving their families across seas, making sure that their children were still getting the same quality of education. Um, So that was fun. Um, But I also kind of still felt the sense of um, hmm, what am I looking for, Chris?
0: I'm not sure. Give me, <laughs> give me sure. some. Give me some clues. So, so <laughs> when I
1: was working at Lincoln Electric, when I was working at like Lincoln, excuse me, when I was working at Lincoln Electric, I really enjoyed that space. Um So I also um was an intern there before. I, worked as a global HR analyst. And so as an intern, I did a lot with the recruitment, but I also wanted to uh, receive a little bit more gratification in my work. And so I returned back to Kent state. I was offered a position, um, by Dean Liz, who is still here um, to work in the undergraduate programs office. And so, um, I was familiar with the space because I was also in that, in that role as a graduate assistant, um, when I was pursuing my MBA. And so I worked as an academic advisor, um, for several years, um, And so really beginning to understand uh, academia a little bit more, understanding student needs, um, the diversity of our student population and how you address them different needs. Um, And so while I was here at Kent State, um, I knew that I wanted to continue to be in academia and higher education, but I also want my influence to be at a different level. Um, And so while – sorry, I'm a little bit everywhere – Okay. okay. Wow. I I see how you can tie this
0: into what it is you bring into the classroom. Yeah. And and how that, well, how that how you can use that academic knowledge that you gained working at Kent State. Right. Yeah. To bring that into understanding students' student needs and.
1: Absolutely, understanding. The, um, So that really kind of shaped even thinking about my uh, my area of business, excuse my area of um, study is individual um, organizational behavior. Um, and so thinking about that in terms of understanding individual differences um, and also how we address these individual differences and in trying to create an inclusive environment. Um, and so I kind of tie all that together in terms of my uh, professional training and then also being in a classroom.
0: Oh, very good. Well, I want to ask you about Um, the recent research that you've done Mm -hmm. on on factors that hinder women and underrepresented racial minorities in the workplace. But before we get there, I wanted to ask you about your experience at Rutgers. Yeah. Uh, anything like what was that like? That had to be uh, like a completely other world,
1: right? It was another world. <laughs> uh-huh. It was. It was very interesting. Um. So, I was born and raised in Ohio, and you know, spent my um, professional uh my professional journey in Ohio while I was at Kent State and other organizations. And so when I when I moved to New Jersey, that was a different setting of um, the East coasted a different pace, a different lifestyle, yeah. <laughs> um, and so that was a that was a change um, in terms of just uh, learning how to um, adapt to that environment. But the faculty there at Rutgers University was wonderful. Um, I was. One, one piece of advice that I was told when I um, transitioned to Rutgers was that, Katrina, you're going to be just fine. You're going to use the same foundation, same skills that you were using while you were in Ohio. And you're just going to apply that into another setting. Um, and I always kept that in mind because I was a little bit nervous about just being in a new space and even just pursuing my uh, Ph.D., you know, if I'm going to be a good fit. Um, and so I, I felt that I made my mark at Rutgers. Um, I made some wonderful connections um, and. I'm I'm happy to be an alum now.
0: <laughs> yeah. Oh, yes. that's very good. And then you brought it back back home. Back yes, to brought Kent. it back
1: home. Yes.
0: <laughs> nice. Matt, can I ask? I don't know are you from the Kent area? You said born and raised in Ohio. Are you... Yes.
1: So I was born um and raised actually in Columbus. Um, okay. and, but my family um is from Akron, Ohio. Nice and so um when I decided to pursue uh I'm a first-generation college student, and oh. so when I decided to, uh, you know, go the college route, it was really um, a good fit in terms of being away from my immediate family in Columbus, but also having resources in the Northeast Ohio area when I came to Kent State. And yeah. so, yeah, so I still had my uncles and my cousins <laughs> if, anything, if, if I needed any resources or just needed some support. So that, right. so that was a great transition for
0: me. Well, it's great to have family here, but I, I bet that they missed you while you were in New Jersey. Yeah, really? we're so
1: happy to be back home. Um, yeah. Our family is happy to have us home, and yeah, it's 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 great to be back here.
0: Very cool. Mm-hmm. Well, now I'm excited to get into your research and the research uh, specifically first on the factors that hinder women and underrepresented racial minorities in the workplace. Can you tell our listeners about that?
1: Yes. So there's many factors um, that hinders women and underrepresented racial minorities in the workplace. Um, And so when we think about how do we access these opportunities, um, a lot of, not a lot of interventions, but um, a well-noted intervention is mentorship and sponsorship. Um, And so my research specifically speaks on how we can use mentorship and sponsorship to uh, help to um, advanced women and underrepresented racial minorities in the workplace, um, and also how mentorship and sponsorship differ based upon um, cross-gender and cross-race relationships. Okay. Mm-hmm. And then
0: how how does this then apply to uh, to business? You know,
1: you're in. The- yeah. So yeah, so when we think about this um, in terms of a business contest and organizations. You know, many organizations um, may institute, like, formalized mentoring programs, Um, and while they can be beneficial, what uh, research has shown is that it's really the informal relationships that helps to advance uh, women underrepresented racial minorities, because it's more of an organic relationship. Um, You're able to kind of relate to one another um, and kind of have these organic developments. Um, So, while formal relationships are good um we need to think about how they can transition into this informal capacity and so also when we think about mentors and sponsors, mentors is more so providing advice. Um, And so they're providing advice in terms of how to go about um, navigating your career, socializing you into a new workspace. But sponsors are really the one who are going to publicly advocate for an individual um, when the door is closed. Um, And so what women and underrepresented racial minorities really need are sponsors. And in in the context of mentorship, mentors can become sponsors, but my so my research really dives into when is it likely for a mentor to act and act in this sponsorship capacity because that is what we need when we think about advancement opportunities.
0: Right. Okay. And then that's something that can be provided then as part of the um, employee relations or the employee. Um, um, Evolving an employee within the organization.
1: Exactly. So when we think about uh, mentors advancing to a sponsorship relationship, you know, are they providing women underrepresented racial minorities with the visible uh, opportunities? Are there challenging development opportunities? Um are they connecting them to their social network? How or how basically is the sponsor leveraging their social capital to help um, provide opportunities to women and underrepresented racial minorities that they may otherwise not have had?
0: Got you. Okay. Mm-hmm. Very, very cool. Now, Another area of your research looks at how incarcerated people can use agency to find meaningful work. Mm -hmm. What what does agency mean in that contest? And, And what has your research revealed?
1: Sure. So when I speak about agency, well, agency in general is the ability to act and make your own choices. And so Um, when we think about agency in the context of um, individuals who have a um, past criminal record, you know, they are left with a lot of um, structural barriers um, in terms of being able to access housing, uh, employment opportunities, a plethora of um, barriers. And so my research basically show how these individuals kind of climb out of that area, not necessarily climb out, excuse me, um, how individuals, Leverage their agency, how they act despite all of these different barriers going on. Um, and so, you know, whether it is um, re-identifying, restructuring how they think about themselves, um, they're changing their own narratives despite what society may say about them. Um, and so, when we think about this in terms of the employment opportunities, uh, research has shown that. Uh, formerly incarcerated individuals are likely to, uh, have low wage, low wage, uh, occupations, um, are subject to, you know, warehouse, uh, construction, um, possibly food industry jobs. And so there are very limited opportunities in terms of their growth, um, in terms of a, a career, a career placement. And so my research basically shows how men and women show resiliency through this process um, and able to create opportunities for themselves, despite these different barriers. Um, so more specifically with a research study that was recently published with my co-author, Dr. Nicole Jones-Young at Franklin Marshall, we basically looked at how um, higher education helps to leverage um, individuals, uh, their, the way they think about uh, career opportunities and how they approach career opportunities based okay. upon having a higher education.
0: Nice. All right. Now, there were some areas of uh, of skill sets, mm-hmm. I think, and, and things that they could do, like um, uh, transferable skills, practice articulating criminal history, and, and those areas. Can you speak a little bit about what those are and what they mean in your research?
1: Yes. So with this particular study, this article um, is entitled Degrees of Incarceration, Navigating Employment Barriers. Um, And so in this study, we basically looked at um, some of the transferable skills that individuals gained from um, going to college. Um, So they basically obtained their associate's degree while they were inside. And then once they were released, they continued on their um, their educational journey to pursue a four-year bachelor degree. Um, and even some individuals even obtained a master's and are now pursuing a PhD. Wow. And so um, our studies showed that um, individuals were very confident in terms of being able to tell their story. And so a lot of times when it comes to rebuilding your criminal record, um, while some can say that it's a considerable um, stigma, um, so that means that Formerly incarcerated individuals you know may decide to disclose or not to disclose having this kind of experience allowed them to gain experience and being able to disclose their criminal record with confidence um be able to sh- tell their story um and also tell their story in terms of how they're moving into a new space um and then also it allowed them to gain um Of course, employment experiences um, by networking with their professors, uh, networking with their colleagues. Um, So these are some of the transferable skills from just uh, being in student organizations um, and also like, uh, what is that called? Um, Work-study programs and things along that lines. Um, Other individuals even gained confidence in pursuing careers that they otherwise would not have pursued if they um, was not in a space. So, for example, we had individuals who were in business, like pursuing accounting. We had individuals who were um, thinking about pursuing their law degree um, and other individuals who were in I.T. And so just the confidence to enter spaces that they traditionally have been excluded from.
0: Right. Mm -hmm. Well, that's wonderful research. Wonderful. And it can be applied in in wonderful ways. Yes. (laughs) You know? So in episode 15, I spoke with Dr. Ryan Biastero a little about the PhD Project, and that's an organization that you are also involved in. Can you
1: tell us a little bit about the PhD Project and how you're involved? Yes, I am involved with the PhD project. I am so happy to be a part of the PhD project. Um, (laughs) They have been very um, a critical resource for me getting through my program. Um, So, the PhD project um, is an organization. Founded by KPMG. And so the organization exists to increase the representation of underrepresented racial minorities um, in business schools. And so by doing that, we're also increasing representation um, when we think about uh, in the business industry, also. So when I say underrepresented racial minorities, I should have said this earlier when I was speaking about my research. I'm speaking about um, Blacks, Latinx, um, and Native Americans. And so, uh, Basically, the organization has a very, very well-suited structure. It's been around for more than 25 years um, now, but they have single-handedly increased the representation of faculty members in business schools in all disciplines. Um, and so, while I was in, a, while I was pursuing my PhD, um, for example, there were like PhD project faculty members. Um, so there were faculty members. There were also doctoral students. Um, and so, at every stage. I had a resource that's someone that I can lean on if I ever had any challenges. They help to sponsor us when we go to our annual conference called the Academy of Management. And so we don't have to worry about, you know, um, sometimes uh, attending conferences can be a very costly endeavor, especially as a grad student. Um, And so they really made sure that we had the resources to attend this conference because it's the largest conference in our field. Um, And so being able to make them connections. And while we're at that conference, um, we have what is called... um, another conference embedded in that that starts prior to the large conference. Um, And our organization is called MDSA, um, Minority Doctoral Student Association. And basically it allows us every year to It's like a boot camp, basically. And every year we're understanding, okay, you're going into year two. This is what you should be expecting, preparing for comps, um, understanding how to craft your research, um, what audience, who are you trying to be in conversation with? Um, Year three, okay, you're working on your dissertation. This is what you need to know about your dissertation. (laughs) (laughs) So year four, job market. This is how you um, craft your job market packet. And so it's so instrumental in making sure that you have all the tools at each stage of the program. And then beyond that, now as a faculty member, um, you know, we're giving back um, to the doctoral students, but we also have our own uh, community of management faculty of color where we're still leaning on each other and providing support. So if anyone's listening to this podcast (laughs) right now, (laughs) I would love to, um, you know, um, encourage anyone who may be interested or who may be able to refer a student that they know who may be interested in pursuing the Ph.D., And it doesn't matter if you're an undergraduate student or even a professional. We have individuals at all stages who are who enter academia, you know, their second, third career. Um, And so every November they have an annual conference that basically um, provides an overview of what it means to pursue a Ph.D. Um, And it's literally like a two-, three-day boot camp, and after you leave, you will know exactly um, for sure if a PhD is a route for you.
0: Oh, nice. Oh, how helpful is that? <laughs> That's so nice. <laughs> Wonderful. Well, you said that now you are faculty, mm-hmm. and they're still continuing to to encourage you in, in what you're doing now. Yes. So what kind of exciting things are you doing now as faculty? We talked about your research, your wonderful yes. research and the organizations you support.
1: Yes. Um,
0: let's talk about your faculty work in the
1: Department of Management
0: and Information Systems.
1: Yes. So uh, of course, in addition to um, keeping up with my research demand, um, I'm also teaching the principles of management course. And so I teach um, two sections of that course. Um, and so it's been a, a great experience so far. Um, right now I'm teaching online and asynchronous, but in the spring semester, I look forward to teaching one of my sessions in person. So the principal is a management course um, typically is a second year course that students take. And it's an introductory course that uh, is required for business students and also students who may have a management minor or maybe in other fields. And it's a pipeline course for the management majors. Um, and so hopefully I'm helping to shape students' interest in pursuing a management major um, here in the College of Business or even a management minor.
0: Gotcha. Okay. So where can our listeners learn more about the programs and management and information systems at Kent State University?
1: Yes, our listeners can learn more about uh, the management information systems um, by visiting our uh, Kent State webpage. More specifically, Ambassador Crawford College of Business Entrepreneurship, um, and have all the details there about our M department and the various majors um, that we have in the in this space. Wonderful, very good. Well, Dr. Palmer,
0: it's been a pleasure having you on the show. And I uh, look forward to hearing more
1: from you in the future. Thank you so much, Chris. It's been a pleasure.
0: Thank you. Have a great
1: day. You as well. Bye. Bye. Thank
0: you for joining us for this episode of Breaking Down Business. We invite you to listen to previous episodes of the podcast at kent.edu slash crawford podcasts. Thank you for joining
1: us for Breaking Down Business. Brought to you by the Kent State Ambassador Crawford College of Business and Entrepreneurship, offering 11 undergraduate majors, a sales certificate, online and in-person MBA programs, graduate certificates, and a comprehensive PhD program. Learn more about the many ways to pursue a business education at Kent State at kentstate.edu forward slash Crawford.